Hi, and welcome to Harvest Valley Church. Thank you so much for joining us today for our sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We're a church located in Horace, North Dakota, committed to serving what God is doing here in the Red River Valley. If you'd like to learn more about us or get connected with our church, you can find us online at our website, harvestvalley.church. Thank you again for listening today, and we hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Hey, good to see you. Welcome to Harvest Valley Church. My name is Randy. I serve as a lead pastor here. And uh, let's celebrate Palm Sunday. We're excited for what God is doing in celebration of Palm Sunday. I wore my palm shirt. I don't know if you guys can see that. Those aren't dirt swells. They're little palm trees. And so the reason I wore that, I was like, I'm just thinking of warmer days. And this shirt is like my vacation shirt. So like, I'm going to wear this. It makes me feel like I'm heading to somewhere warm, but it happens to be Palm Sunday as well. So that works out. Uh, Hey, listen, I want to just draw your attention to something real quick. Um, The Hagrot family, Ty and Lindsay and their kids, if you guys want to wave, this is the Hagrots. They uh, have worked really hard to put together this Passion Week devotional. And this is our gift to you. And on your way out, you will receive one of these. It's one per household. If you're single, you get one. If you are married and you have 30 kids, you just get one as well. So uh, you could take one of these. And I just strongly encourage you to go through these as a family. We want to prepare our hearts for what is to come. We know that Easter is a week away. We want to prepare our hearts for the resurrection. And so the, the Hagar family, they have written the devotional. They have illustrated it and put these together for us. Would you just show your appreciation for them as well? Thank you guys for doing this. What a gift. Man, talk about using your gifts to build up the church. So thank you for doing that this morning. Hey, listen, uh, Easter is right around the corner, uh, a week away, and it's a time of celebration, but it's also a time where we get together as family. And for some of you, that's really exciting, right? And for some of you, it kind of puts a pit in your stomach because maybe there's some history, there's some brokenness, there's some things that you're walking through. So as I prepare for the sermon, as I, as I pray, we're going to pray for Easter. We're going to pray for our Easter service. We also know it's a time where people come back to church. We also know it's a time where people commit their life to Jesus. It's a really big Sunday as well. So let's pray for just even spiritually what's going on, but let's pray for families. Listen, I don't know what's going on inside of your hearts with your family, but Jesus knows. And let's just pray pray that there'd be peace. Let's pray there'd be reconciliation. Let's pray there'd be joy as you guys get together, that it wouldn't be a pit in your stomach, but it would truly be a joy to get together with your family. So would you pray with me and uh, pray for me as well as we get into the word. So Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and uh, we thank you for this holy week. We thank you for Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing that he was not going to leave but he was going to give up his life for us. We pray, Lord, that that would cause us to think about our own soul, our own depravity, Lord, our own salvation. And Father, I pray as we think about Easter, we we pray for hearts and lives. We also know, God, that it's a time of of declaring what Christ has done on the cross. It's a time of, of power and victory. It's a time where we believe that people are going to be saved and transformed. And Lord, it's also a time to come together as family. For some of us, that's exciting. For some of us, there's some brokenness. For some of us, Lord, that's a hard time. And I pray for healing, and I pray for peace. I pray for reconciliation. That I pray, Lord, this coming Easter would be a healing time for families as well. 
Lord, we commit this into your hands. And, and Lord, as we kick off a new series in the book of Ephesians, just lead and guide my words and help us to learn and grow together in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, it's good to see you again. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, thank you, team, for just getting up early and serving and just making things happen. We appreciate it. We acknowledge it. We see you in the place. Uh, I'm excited to go through a new series. How many are excited to start a new book in the book of Ephesians? Come on. I'm really excited about that. We're entitling it, Unearthing Our True Identity. And thank you, Janda Schmidt, for putting together that sermon buffer. What a, wasn't that an awesome sermon buffer? We just love that. Um, so listen, so what we're going to do is we're not necessarily going to go verse by verse today. What today is all about, it's, we're going to give an overview of what Ephesians is about. We're going to talk about some main things, and then we're also going to talk about some personal application for you. And what I want to encourage you to do, you guys, is to go through the book of Ephesians and just read it. Read it over and over and over again. It's only six chapters, so it's pretty, it's pretty short. But what I want to encourage you guys to do, it is a gold mine of truth. It is so good. I just want to encourage you guys, get into the book of Ephesians, get a notepad, write some things that the Lord's putting on your heart, and listen, let's grow together in God's truth. And so whenever God moves, it is important to hold the word of God as center, and that's what we want to do at Harvest Valley. So let's get to work. We're going to talk about just basically an overview, 30,000-foot overview of the book of Ephesians, and so, uh, so you guys know where we are going. So the author is the Apostle Paul. He was formerly known as Saul. He was a man who persecuted much of the, the early church, uh, but he was a man who had a radical gospel transformational experience. And that's what I put my hope in. How many of you guys wish that you can change people's hearts and lives? You wish we could do that, but that's not our role. But we know in God's timing, God encounters us, and God encountered Saul, who was later known as Paul, but God encountered him on the road to Damascus. He had bad plans, but God encountered him and transformed his life. Listen, it is believed that Paul wrote the book around AD 62, uh, during his imprisonment in Rome, and the letter was written to the church at Ephesus, right, into the surrounding region. And as we think about why, why, why did he write it, right? There was, there was not a specific occasion or problem that he was writing the letter, but uh, as some of Paul's letters, we also see that Paul wrote different letters to address different issues within the church. People weren't getting along. People were fighting. People were getting drunk on communion wine, and he had to address it. And he's like, okay, now we have to address this. There's some misunderstandings. However, what we do see in the, in the book of Ephesians, we see, you guys, some profound truth about salvation and how that deeply impacts all of humanity. It deeply impacts all races and nations and languages, and we're gonna explore that in the weeks ahead, which I'm really excited about. We also know that Paul wrote this letter to remind, the, to give the church an update as to while he, how he was doing while he was in prison. Hey, this is how I am doing. So listen, cultural context. Why am I sharing this? Because I want you guys to know where we're going. Cultural context in the city of Ephesus. It's interesting, the city of Ephesus had a, a fascination with magic and the occult. You see in Acts chapter 19, if you go to Acts chapter 19, this is Paul's journey through Ephesus. And what happens is he's sharing the gospel. And as he's sharing the gospel, not only are lives transformed, but a city is transformed. And what begins to happen? People, they're fascinated with magic and the occult. They begin to bring their books of magic and they begin to burn them. 
What's interesting about this is this, is that the value of the books was equal to about 50,000 pieces of silver. Why do I say this? Listen, when Jesus transforms your life, sometimes or all the time, you have to get rid of the former way of life, even if it has tremendous value. You guys following me? We have to be willing to let go of the former way of life, even if the things of the former life have tremendous value. And that's what the church did, right? They, they, God changed their hearts through the gospel. They had these, these, these witchcraft books. It was extreme value, but they took it and they said, no more. And I think some of us in the house, listen, if we're going to live for Jesus, some of us in the house have to do that. I remember there was a moment in my life where I, uh, when I first became a Christian, I, I, so much of what my life was wrapped around was even the music that I listened to. And I felt like that almost had a grip on my life. It kept bringing me back into a former way of life. And so I had to get to a point of saying, I need to let go of all of the things that once defined who I once was, because that's no longer me anymore. And so listen, I want to encourage you, church, if you hear me this morning, if there's anything that you're hanging on to from the former way of life, I want to encourage you, let it go. And, and just put it aside because Christ has much more for you. And I think the reason we, let, we hang on to these things is because it does have value. Listen, what they had was of extreme value. And I think that's why, that's why the, book, the author of Acts says this, that it, it had so much value that it was like 50,002 pieces of silver. That's a lot of value. Listen, and so let's keep on. Ephesus was a wealthy and important port city on the west coast of Asia. A lot of people were always coming and going in this port city. If you guys didn't know this, I thought this was interesting. The temple of Artemis, which was a Greek goddess, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world can be found in Ephesus. The city was the epicenter for the worship of the Greek gods. You could say this city or this region, you guys, was very religious and very spiritual. One thing that Paul was really good at was he was good at crafting his letters and addressing the context of the culture, right? Because he knows that it's very spiritual. He knows that it's very dark. And so that's why he says in Ephesians 1 through 21, he says this, Christ, all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. So listen, if we don't know the context of Ephesus, then this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What Paul was saying is this, Christ Jesus has authority over everything that you tend to exalt as a God. And so this, like, again, cultural understanding is really important. And so Paul's making a, ver a very clear point of saying, Christ Jesus, the one that I'm preaching, is supreme and has all authority over all of your gods. That's a pretty big declaration. And so listen, let's get to the letter breakdown. You guys still with me this morning? Okay, hang on. The letter breakdown is this. Ephesians is broken up down into six chapters. And what I find interesting about the book is the first three chapters, it's a great description of God's redemptive work through Christ. There's so much doctrine. There's so much theology. How many of you guys know that doctrine and theology matter? Right? It matters. We don't base our Christianity on how we feel or just experiences, we base it off of doctrine and theology. And this is what Paul in the first three chapters, this is what he's doing. He's given a grand description of the gospel. It's beautiful. We'll get into it. I'm excited. And then chapters four through six, in light of what God has accomplished, we're presented with an understanding of how the Christian should live. Because how many of you guys know that Christians are called to live in a certain way, right? 
We're not called to live how we think we should live. We're called in a way in which God tells us to live. So the second part is applicational. It's very practical. So said it another way, the first half of the book abounds with spiritual richness and reveals our union with Christ in the highest heavens. Said another way for the second part, the second half of the book is intensely practical and it reveals how we to live our life on this earth. So listen, if you're taking notes, the book of Ephesians can be broken down into three themes. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Theme number one is this. And different commentators or different theologians comment on different ways. But theme one is this. It's the wealth, not money, but the wealth of knowledge, wealth, doctrine, and watchman knee. If you guys know watchman knee, the watchman knee says sit. So the first theme is wealth, doctrine, and sit. What that basically means is we need to understand our position as a Christian. You guys hearing me? We need to understand what God has already accomplished. We need to understand what he has already put in place. We need to understand what God has done for all of humanity and rejoice in the fact that he delights in it. And we, had actually, we get to actually see God's motivation for why he did what he did. He didn't begrudgingly save you. He delighted in saving you. There's a difference. He didn't say, oh, I suppose, get in. He said, no, I, I did this work, and here's my work. It's out of his abundant mercy and grace that he did this. But listen, if we don't know that, then we make, we make all these other assumptions. And so I would say it's a master course on our salvation. The- theme number two is this, is walk and duty. Watch me knee says walk. So basically what it means is when we understand, check this out, when we understand what God has done for us, then we walk that out. That's important to understand. When we understand the wealth of what God has accomplished and who who he already is, then we begin to walk those things out. And then theme number three is this, warfare, duty, watch me knee says stand. How many of you guys know this, that we battle not against flesh and blood? You guys know that in the house? You battle not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not in this room with people. Spouses, you look at each other, you're not each other's enemy. The enemy is Satan. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One of the things that Satan wants us to to misunderstand is, is to misunderstand what God has already accomplished through the person of Jesus. And we need to understand that there's a warfare that we face every single day. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Every single day we face warfare. And he comes and he tries to deceive you. He tries to convince you. He tries to say, I don't know if God really meant to say that, or maybe you're taken out of context, that it has a lot more to do with your works than God's grace and mercy. And listen, every single day, there's a warfare for your mind. There's a warfare for your understanding of theology. And so that's why I'm excited to get into the book of Ephesians. And so listen, to summarize the themes together, number one is this, we rest in the wealth, check this out, We rest in the wealth. We rest in the knowledge. I think as a church, you all, and myself included, need to rest in what God has accomplished through Christ Jesus. We need to rest in that. So much of our faith can be about striving to be a good enough person so that God will accept us. 
Listen, we don't walk out our faith to earn what God has done. How many of you guys know that legalism is a heavy burden to carry? It's not good behavior and conduct first. It's gospel first, and then a life that follows what God has already accomplished. So listen, we we need to walk out an identity that's been given to us, not an identity that we're striving to uphold or to attain. Listen, and as we walk out what God has done, we stand firm in all spiritual warfare. Because it's every single day the enemy tries to convince you that it has a lot more to do with you and a lot less of what Jesus already has done for you. So listen, I, I, was, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm always listening to stuff. And one of the things that I learned, you guys might have heard this phrase before, is deconstruction. Uh, and w- what, what they're finding now is a lot of the people who are deconstructing their faith come from a misunderstanding where they don't truly understand or maybe fully understand the gospel to where they, ha- they felt that it had a lot more to do with themselves. And I, well, like I said, legalism is a heavy weight to carry. And if we don't truly understand the gospel, then we truly do make it about ourselves. And what I want us to do in Ephesians chapter, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is to relearn the gospel together of what God has already accomplished. I love it. We have a runner. So listen. So here's the application part. You guys still with me this morning? Okay, there's a lot of teaching here, but I want to set this up for us. We're going through the book of Ephesians. However, did you guys notice this? The subtitle of the sermon series is Unearthing Our True Identity. Did you guys catch that? Why are we talking about identity? Because identity is a big thing. How many of you guys hear identity every single day on the news and all? Everybody's talking about identity. Identity, 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 identity. And like, I get it. We're talking about identity. But listen, I think the church needs to talk about identity as well. So listen, the whole identity crisis is not just this generation. It existed in generations before us and it will exist in generations after us. But the church needs to understand who they are in Christ Jesus so we're not going to and fro with this identity, right? And when it comes to identity, we have to ask or consider the following questions. How do we identify ourselves? Why do, do, we, why do we identify ourselves that way? Who gets to identify us? What gets to identify who we are? On what basis do we identify ourselves? And I'm sure there's a multitude of more questions we could ask ourselves, but those are pretty foundational. Why, why am I going in this direction? Identity is such a big deal for the following two reasons. Again, I'm sure there's more. These are just two that I thought of. Number one is this. Our behavior and lifestyle flow from how we identify ourselves. Our identity and lifestyle flow from how we identify ourselves. In other words, we give credence to our behavior based on how we identify ourselves. This is humanity. This is what we do, right? Number two is this. Check this out. Once we land at an identity, then we go on a quest to find community that supports our identity, affirms the identity that we have chosen, or we find a community that will help strengthen 
that identity that we have chosen. You guys understanding this? So one of the biggest themes in the book of Ephesians is our identity. That's the first part. And the second part has a lot to do with our behavior and our conduct. And behavior and conduct is based off of the first three chapters, our identity. So listen, Paul, listen, Paul begins the conversation about identity by making a clear distinction between the old self and the the new self. There's the old self and the new self. This is key, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to break it down for us, and we'll, we'll kind of unpack this. Paul says this, and w- which I think is so interesting. What I'm about to say is controversial to the world. And if it bugs you, so be it, right? You got to look in the text, and we got to wrestle with it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom we all, who does it say? We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. It doesn't say we were by nature children of God. That is important for us to understand. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Listen, this was or currently is the identity for some of you in the house. We all start out this way. I mean, we need to understand this theologically. All of us in the room start out as children of wrath. I know you listen to that Christmas song that says we're all God's children and that makes everything right, but don't get your theology from Christmas music. I want us to understand Ephesians talks about how we were children of wrath. We need to understand that. If we are all born children of God, then there's no need for the gospel. We need to be rescued and saved from our condition. You guys following this? Okay. Listen, and then the reality is, we all remain in that state. We all remain as children of wrath until we enter through the what? The narrow gate, which is what? Which is Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul said this, all mankind... You know, as we look at the world, this is what we see. We live by the passions of our flesh. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? We carry out the desires of the flesh. Whatever our mind thinks, whatever our flesh wants, that's what we will pursue. And this is what Paul is talking about. He said, all of you, apart from Christ, just your whole pursuit is to follow your own desires. Whatever your flesh wants, whatever you desire, that's what you pursue. And those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you look back, you're like, yes, that was me. That's all I did. That's all I pursued. So listen, the world or mankind thinks this way. We are the happiest when we live out our desires. This is the world. The world also says, how do you expect me to be happy if I don't live out my desires? You guys following this? How am I going to be happy? How am I going to be fulfilled when I don't truly get to live out what I really want, my own desires? Listen, we see this play out in the culture and the world. Some of us has a desire. We wrestle with that desire. Then there's a self-acceptance for that desire. And then it begins the quest to find community that supports that desire. 
So apart from Christ, listen, apart from Christ, this is true for all of us. And this is what Paul's making it very clear. This is true for all humanity. Our identity is governed by the desires of our flesh. We have to understand, listen to this. Our desires only lead to dead ends. Because how many of you guys know this? When you have a desire of your flesh and you fulfill it, you realize you're not any more satisfied. You're not any more complete. And then there comes another desire. And then that leads to a dead end. And then that leads to a dead end. And that leads to a dead end. Are you guys following me, right? Listen, I love what somebody once said. We're not, we're not animals. Animals just pursue what their flesh wants. Animals just go after what they, what they desire. Listen, in Christ Jesus, you're not an animal. You're not just made to fulfill your desires. You are made for something, something much higher than that. Listen, listen, when we make life about pursuing our desires, we only end up making ourselves miserable. Because our desires were never meant to actually satisfy us the way we think they will. Listen, let's transition. Listen, when you were dead in your transgressions, which was all of us, when you followed the desires of the world, something amazing was at work, the gospel. Here's the good news, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, I love this, you guys, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Listen, the gospel says, even while you were passionately pursuing your desires and the passions of your flesh, although you were dead in your your trespasses, God was pursuing you and stepped in. That's good news, you guys. And here's the motivation. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love. God did not begrudgingly save you, but God, being rich in mercy and love, stepped in while you were still in your pursuit of your desires. Did you guys catch that? You didn't all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to change my desires and pursue God. No, you were faithfully and passionately pursuing the desires of your flesh. And thanks be to God for his mercy and grace that he stepped in even while you were pursuing it and he saved you. That's the good news of the gospel. So it's not like you're just like, oh, I should stop doing this. No, it's like God's like, no, I'm saving you. I'm stepping in when you're making a train wreck of your life and, and because I love you, because of my mercy, I'm demonstrating something so powerful. This is something we have to understand, you guys. So he makes us alive. It's all grace. We become a new creation. We become aware of our sin, which is good. And because Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 is true, we must look at Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. It says this, to put off, what does it say? To put off your what? Your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Did you guys catch that? To put off the old self, which belongs to the former way of life. 
a former way of life that was governed by deceitful desires and renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Listen, I really believe, this is not, nothing new, you guys, but we live in such an age of deception. Such an age of deception where it says this, you're dece- corrupt through deceitful desires. Our world is bound by deceitful desires. Here's the thing about deceitfulness. They don't actually believe that the desires are bad. That's why they're deceitful desires. Nobody who's deceived, who is deceived believes they're actually deceived. You guys understand that? And so to be deceived actually means you believe that you're pursuing what is right and good. And so this is what Paul's talking about. We have a whole world right now that is pursuing things that they think are so good for them. But they're just corrupted by evil desires. But listen, let me be honest with you guys too. Do we expect the world who doesn't know Jesus to live a different way? No. Because there's the old self and then there's the new self, right? And so to summarize what I'm saying, right, this is who you were, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were a child of the wrath, right? But this is what God has done and now this is who you are. Now walk in it. How many of you guys know that in this room, you can raise your hand, how many of you in this room have desires? How many of you guys, after you put your faith in Christ, when you are, were made new in Christ Jesus, you put on the new self, how many of you guys still had desires that were not of God? Most of you, which is a good thing, right? Here's, here's what I want us to understand Desires does not equal identity. Just because we have desires does not mean that equals identity because not all desires are from God. What we're called to do is to continually die to the desires that are not of God. And so we have to understand this, that when we have those desires, we have to understand this is not who I am in Christ Jesus. That my desires do not get to define me and I want to remind you again that you were made for more. You're not, you're not an animal. You just live out your desires. You were made for more. If I get the worship team to come up, we're going to close here. I want to remind us of something. Listen, when I first became a Christian, how many of you guys heard this, these things before? So when, when I first became a Christian and my dad, he first became a Christian, I kind of felt a little, if he's watching, dad, this is my story, man. So when he became a Christian, he was almost as if, and if I asked him, he would say that's not true, right? But he's like, when I first became a Christian, right, I had no desire to do this. I had no desire to drink and I stopped cussing, right? And I stopped kicking the dog and I stopped and I'm like, wow, that's amazing, I'm like, did you have any desires, right? And it's just like, it was just like straight and narrow. I'm like, man, and then I put my faith in Christ and I'm like, why do I still have desires? Why do I still feel like, oh, I want that or I want this. And why do I still have those desires? And I felt like a story like that, 
it was good and powerful. It is good and powerful. There's stories in this room that are just like that. You're just like, I put my faith in Christ and I had no desire to do this. Praise God. But I also want to say for some of us in the room, that's not your story. Your story is not like, I put my faith in Christ and I, I stopped wanting to do that. That's not necessarily the case. But listen, we have to find ourselves with this reality that we have to put the desires of the flesh to death daily. I had somebody once tell me, ask me this week, he said, do we all, is this, is this how it's going to be for the rest until we die? I'm like, yeah. I've talked to like people on their deathbed and they said they had to put death, they had to put sin to death until their deathbed. And that's true for all of us. We have to put sin to death until we hit our deathbed. We still have desires at war against what we really desire. And I just want to remind us in the room, do not grow weary in your battle against the desires of the flesh. You are not your desires. You are made for much more than that. And I want to remind us of the gospel. God is not looking for you to change, for you to change, but rather for you to submit to him. Does that make sense? When we do that, it's through the power of his spirit that we're changed. Let me be clear. When he put on the new self, the temptations do not go away, but rather you are now empowered to flee from them. And those things that once defined you no longer define you. And those things that once defined you no longer have control over you. That's the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And let me just say this one last thing, and I, I, I think it will be my last thing. Don't give up your fight against the desires of your flesh. Because there is one who is greater who is working and is fighting on your behalf. Don't just give in. How many of us, when we just, when we grow weary in the fight, we give in and then we just say like, oh, this is who I'm just gonna be. It's gonna be this for the rest of my life. I'm just gonna be known as this. I'm gonna secretly be struggling with this and I'm just gonna be, this is my identity. Listen, and then we give up the fight and then when we give up the fight, we accept it as an identity. Is that making sense? When we accept, when we just accept that we're defeated, we just accept it as an identity. Listen, church, one more time. You are not made just to live out your design. You were made for more. Don't accept the fact that your desires, that you have, have these desires, but don't let them become an identity for you. Your identity is found in the gospel. Your identity is found in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. You are not your past. You are not your current desires. You are a child of God. Put off the old self, put on the new self, and walk in the power that he's given to you through the cross and through the resurrection. Does that make sense? Would you stand to your feet, church? I want to encourage you, man, if you, if you're warring in your flesh and you're just like, man, there's so much going on right now in my life. And man, this altar is always open. Nobody's, when you come up to the altar, no one's going to say, man, they're really struggling. We're up here to just engage this, to press in. And I just want you to leave this room, not with an identity of, that's consumed with your desires, but an identity that's consumed with the gospel. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this moment, Lord, where we can press in. 
And Lord, I pray for those in the house who are just feel like their, their, their past and their identity, their desires are defining who they are. And I just pray that you would break that over their lives in Jesus' name. They are not what their desires say they are, but they are a child of God. And so, Lord, we put the desires of the flesh to death. And Lord, we put on the new self, which is found in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the power to overcome temptation. Thank you for the power to flee. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord God. And we continually throw ourselves at the feet of the cross and we allow you to define who we are, not our past, not our sin, not our passions, not our desires. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us for this message on the book of Ephesians. We at Harvest Valley would love to hear how God is speaking to you through this sermon series. You can connect with us online at our website, harvestvalley.church. We pray that this message has blessed you, and thank you so much for joining us at Harvest Valley Church.